Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and we talk about the whole world of the infinite banking concept. And we ask ourselves, do our dollars make sense? So today I have a really fun episode. I have Robert Lee on today. And Robert, he actually works with Jeremiah and Jonah Dew at the Banking Bros. And he also has his own company as well called Better Investments. <laughs> and uh, you can find him on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, etc. cetera. Uh, but today we're going to dive into the infinite banking concept concept on a viewpoint coming from millennials and Gen Z. So Robert's a millennial or excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Robert's a millennial. I'm a Gen Z person. And so just kind of like our viewpoints and explaining the infinite banking concept for dummies. So Robert, what's going on, man? How are you doing today? Uh, Hannah, I'm doing great. <clears throat> what's crazy is prior to today, when the way you said it, I feel so old and compared to, I know it's like just a couple of years, but it's like, if I'm really a completely different generation from her, I'm getting old. <laughs> so, yeah, but I'm doing uh, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing great. Um, and I'm super excited to be on. I appreciate you having me on. And I'm ready to talk about the infinite banking concept, of course, because that's what we uh, that's what we deal with on a day to day basis. So that's it. That's it. And just quickly, a few announcements before we get into it. So we're hitting the road. So 23 and 2023, Money <laughs> Multipliers going on tour. So uh, down below in the description, you can find all of our events that are posted. So, um, so Robert, I, I thought this would be really, really fun because honestly, you know, I really am second generation to this concept. You know, it was my dad who discovered it. You know, he was at the seminar and somebody was up on stage teaching this. And so I really am that second generation. And actually, I was thinking about it today, too. We, we also have third generation involved now. So dad's grandchildren or my nieces and nephews, you know, they yeah. have policies. So we're in that third generation now. But I got to ask you, because your parents, they don't, maybe they're not doing this or they didn't do it before you were introduced. So I guess my question is, how did you first learn about IBC and how did you get started <laughs> from the beginning? Uh, yeah. So when I first learned about it, it was uh, crazy. Is, uh, ironically, I read your dad's book. <laughs> so I had already. Um, so mapping out the millionaire mystery with him and Chris Noggle, uh, I already knew somewhat about it. I didn't understand the concept. I didn't know there was an entire concept that surrounded uh, what it is I, I, that I was looking for. So I read that book. Um, of course, later on, that leads you into more uh, art of R. Nelson Nash and, and his and his stuff. Right. So that's how I came across Infinite Bank. And I am the first that I know of uh, in my immediate family to be doing this, uh, trying to get other people in my family to do it as well and see the value in it. Uh, the biggest thing is that, especially like with family members, it's it's different from anybody else. Right. So uh, you hear this all the time. Uh, friends and family won't get you rich, but strangers will. Uh, the strangers will support you faster, so on and so forth. And I don't think necessarily it's a support thing. Uh, what I think it is, is that the people closest to us kind of only see us for who we are or what they think they know us uh, uh, for. And it's harder for them to see beyond that. So kind of like uh, it's it's not it's not a bad thing necessarily. But I think what it is, is that naturally we have a, a tendency to only see people for where they're at or, or how we think we know them or what we know them for. 
and not necessarily see their or you might see their potential, but we can't see them in another light because you know that's my grandson or that's my son or that's my brother. That's not my financial advisor or uh, accountant or insurance agent or broker or whatever the case is. So, but yeah, I, I, that's how I came into infinite banking. I got my first policy going, going on four policies now, um, and so. Of course, too, after meeting and talking with Brent, reading his book and getting started with infinite banking, long and behold, I'm, I'm working with the money multiplier as well to help other people get started. So that's yeah, that's how I got into it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true, too. I mean, a lot of people that become very passionate, passionate about this stuff, they are first consumers of it and then they go out and they start teaching it to others. I mean, that's how dad got to where we're at right now. You know, he was a chiropractor. And then you before this whole world, you were doing some other stuff. And I agree with you. You know, I've said this before on the podcast, but dad has always said a statement too. you know, sometimes you got to fire your friends and your family members because they could be the ones that are holding you back from your true potential of really accelerating to that next level. And actually, there's another quote somebody told me. He's a, a member, so he's practicing infinite banking. And he goes, you know what, Hannah? That There's a saying where you can't be a prophet in your own town because they do. They look at you as that, that daughter, that, um, that professional in some other area, not really within this right here, the infinite banking concept. So you always got to go to another town and really spread that message. You can't be a prophet in your own city city so i agree yeah wow that's um the way you put it and uh the way you said it and you know uh great words great great way to put that and i think it's uh i think it's i think it's really really powerful because the profit in your own town scenario is is perfect because it's like that person wasn't always a prophet right mm -hmm. and so those people know him from him or her based on who they were before they uh got into that role right and okay. so that, you know, that's, that's really, really big. And then outside of that, kind of speaking to what you were saying, well, I was already doing day trading and investing uh, prior to ever coming across infinite banking, infinite banking, I felt like could, uh, you know, drastically increase and improve what it is that I was already doing. Uh, it's the and asset for anybody that, that thinks it's about choosing one or the other. I think infinite banking if you understand that it's not an investment, you understand that it's about the banking system and uh, uh, can controlling your financial environment and 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 really getting to the the core of what it's about. You understand that infinite banking is something that is supposed to uh, be inclusive. It's supposed it's supposed to come in and make everything that you already do better. Yeah. And so for me, that's why I got into it, and that's how I got I got started with it is because I understood okay, I'm, I don't have an investing problem. And I kind of I kind of kept trying to search around for like that missing piece of the puzzle uh, when it came to my financial planning and uh, just my uh, my financial outlook is like I felt like it was just something missing from that. And so infinite banking was that missing piece. And so when I plugged that into it, uh, the puzzle came together It's complete now. It makes a whole bunch of sense. And so now it's just, you know, building a bigger puzzle. Maybe I want to add some more pieces to that, but uh, I don't have that missing piece in the middle. So now I'm just working my way out. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I got to ask you a question then, because, okay, so you, you found mapping out the millionaire mystery and, and for all the listeners listening to this, it's my gift to you. If you email me, Hannah at the money multiplier.com, I will send you a copy of that ebook. Or if you want the hard copy, I, I just charge you $3 for the shipping costs and I'll mail it out to you. So just reach out to me so you can get a hold of that book. 
But my question is because folks will go out and they will start researching this and they come across other practitioners or maybe people in their town that say, hey, well, we do this. You know, so I, I guess my question is, why did you come to us, the money multiplier and the banking bros, rather than going with somebody maybe in your hometown? Uh, man, that's a great question. So uh, originally I, I tried to like challenge the information a little bit um, just based on everything I knew. Uh, I didn't, I wouldn't say necessarily challenge it. I, 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 because I think that people to really learn something, even if you don't like who it's coming from, you can receive it. Or more importantly, even if you don't agree with it, you need to do your due diligence and, and study and research it. So I wasn't coming at it from perspective of what I thought I already knew and challenging the idea or the concept. Mm-hmm. I was just wanting to see before I go with the first source of where I got this from, let me kind of shop around and see what's going on. Not necessarily for a lower price or anything like that, but more so to see if I couldn't do it with some people that I was more familiar with or, or I felt like I was more comfortable with um, prior to, to to going and reaching out further, right? And outsourcing. So I did that. And what I realized is from the looks on people's faces, from the conversations, all of the above, um, I realized that these individuals are not fit to do this. They don't understand this concept. I know more about it than they do. Uh, they've been in insurance. I wasn't in insurance at the time, um, <clears throat> but they have no, they don't have a clue. Uh, and what they're talking about based on the book that I read, the information that I've gathered, the knowledge that I know, it it contradicts what I already have learned. And so they don't understand this at all. They really don't know what's going on. And this person isn't suited to help me do this because because they don't understand enough about it. Yeah. Um, and they didn't even know who R. Nelson Nash was. So because they didn't understand enough about it, I didn't have to know kind of like with the whole profit scenario. You always say, you also have the the practice what you preach thing. Right. So I didn't have to know that they didn't practice this in their personal lives. You see what I'm saying? So for me, it's like, I want to go with some people that, you know, from based on what I know about them, not only do they, uh, not only are they practitioners, but they practice what they preach and they do this in their personal lives as well. So that's how I ended up uh, getting in touch with Brent. And then from there, uh, I just wanted to know more about how I can get around people that's like-minded and maybe even doing the same things that I'm doing. And that's how I came across the banking bros as far as Jonah and Jeremiah uh, ended up uh, becoming a part of the cash compound uh, with that. And so just more so like the educational platform for kind of like how you were doing with the giveaway. I guess my treat would be uh, we have a I have a promo code I can give people here on your channel. Yeah. Uh, if they, yeah. So if you guys, I think maybe, maybe we do it the same kind of like, kind of like way how you're doing it. Um, if they send me like an email to bi academy LLC at gmail.com and I'll see, I'll send you some links or something like that for that. Um, but yeah, there's a promo code where they can get one month off. Uh, so definitely that'll, that'll be an incentive for the people that's listening and, uh, tuning in right now, because those are the people that we want to help the most. We want to help people that want to be helped. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's kind of the thing is that, you know, you want to uh, it's hard to save somebody from drowning when they're fighting you. Right. So you just got to save yourself. Um, and so for the most part, coming coming back into like kind of the first question was, how is it being first generation? Well, you got to save yourself. You got to get out the pool and then maybe you put some down in the water and see if they grab onto it. But if you were to stay down in that water, they were going to keep you uh, they were going to drown you with them. So. 
you know, definitely that's something that they can check out. Uh, it's it's just like I said, the Course Academy uh, is going to build a better understanding around banking, how that works, and just like personal finance. Uh, that that was really big for me. So after Brent uh, put me in touch with them, that gave me more of a. It's not something I, I was new to, but what I will say is the simplification of the information, the way it was broken down. It definitely helped build a better framework around why I wanted to be doing infinite banking and how I can use that to uh, improve my life. So, um, you know, kind of kind of that's that's going down. Uh, I guess to answer your question on that is um, why I took that way is because and why? Because, of course, I have more than one policy. So why did I continue in this way? Mm-hmm. It's because I felt like the people at the money multiplier, the individuals that I'd be working with, they understand it. They know it. We're speaking the same language and they practice this in their personal lives. Coming across the banking bros and the cash compound was, it made me feel like it's not just, well, car insurance, I don't have to tell you not to crash your car, right? I talk to people all the time and I'm sure you've gotten this before. How much do you make in commissions or something like that, right? You get like, you get like, you get like this, you get, you get people that's never really going to start, but they get like questions that they have because it's just different. They didn't see us on a commercial for State Farm or something like that or whatever. And I asked them all the time, I say, well, yeah, man, hey, how, uh, do you know your car insurance agent name? No, I don't know my car insurance agent. Yeah. So you never even thought, you see what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't that important to you. I literally served the same role, the same purpose, um, just slightly different. But I don't have to tell you not to crash your car. I don't, And I call it death insurance. Other forms of life insurance that you just can't use, I call it death insurance. Um, so I don't have to tell you how to, you know, be healthy and don't don't get sick and die. But with banking, you, you're going to need me, right? Yeah. You might need some mentorship. You want you want somebody to kind of guide you and give you templates uh, like the mapping team. When I first came into the picture, uh, Jonah was heading the mapping team. You were a lot more involved with uh, the applications and stuff like that. So it's just seeing, OK, when I get into this, they're not just going to kind of like throw me off to the side of the road or just give me a policy. Right. I'm not just being sold something. I'm being given a tool. And more importantly, they're going to show me how to use it. So uh, that's why. Good, good. And no, and, and I, I kind of agree. And just so the listeners out there, kind of how we all fit into the, the picture here. So so the money multiplier, you know, yes, you know, it is Brent's company that that's uh, when, when he first started going out and teaching infinite banking, that, that that's just what we're called the money multiplier. And really Robert, Jonah, Jeremiah, the cash compound, better investments, um, the banking bros, we're all a part of one big family here. So, so the money multiplier, I call it the apps and maps, or, or we just help folks uh, obtain their policies, design it properly for this concept. And then, hey, once you have the policy, that's when the mapping team steps in. The mapping team is really there to help you use it, implement it, and even checking in on you two to three times a year. If you do not, if I don't hear from you first, you're going to be getting a call from me saying, hey, how's things going? Do you need any help? How's family life? How's business life? You know, and always continuing on with that working relationship. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm never going to tell you how to go out and make your money. I'm never going to tell you how to go out and invest your money. I'm not a financial advisor, y'all, but I can tell you if you want to have those buddy-buddy conversations of, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is what's working over here in my life, hey, we can have those conversations. And to take it back, Robert, kind of like what you said, you know, this is not the investment. Your policy is not, not, not your investment. It is the process that you go and buy your investments, buy your transactions, pay 
pay off your debts. You're just doing it through the vehicle now. And um, really, I, I think that's what's different is really what we're doing is we're over here boosting our savings. So, so this is kind of different, like when financial gurus or advisors, they come to you and they want to help you gain like a higher rate of return on the money that you're already saving or no, 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 I'm not going to talk to you about how to get a higher return on the money that you're saving, because in order to do that, that involves more risk. What exactly. I'm saying is, is that, hey, how can I use this concept to go and save or recycle and recapture on the money that I'm already spending? Because you're already going to go buy your cars. You're already going to go buy your investments. You already got to pay your tax bill, right? So now in, instead of just doing it that normal conventional way, we're just doing it through the policies and we're building up our capital and our assets now through the policies. And, and really, we have a good example on that. It's called the annual pattern of spending. And when we go out and we teach live, we do go through this. But um, for my folks who um, aren't going to see us live or maybe just want to go look up the video, it's right there on our website. If you go to themoneymultiplier.com, underneath resources, you can find that presentation. And so I encourage you to go look at that annual pattern of spending because it's just very, very interesting. That's just where we're different that I'm not going to have you take more risk on what you're already saving. How can I just save more on the dollars that I'm already spending. So, and again, I'll put all these links down below. But Robert, my question to you, though, is can you explain to the community, I mean, what risks are there involved within these policies? I mean, what is the worst thing that could ever happen inside of this policy contract? Uh, yeah, so I think the biggest thing is to kind of take a, take a broader view and step back. And I want to speak to some of the things you said. First of all, most people inside financial advisory uh, positions and stuff like that, you have to understand they get paid when they introduce the risk. Mm -hmm. So the risk wasn't there. Um, inherently, in order for you to receive some kind of percentage gain, there's a risk involved. So with that being said is, and another thing too, is to, is to understand savings. So the reason why they're, the people are willing to take this risk and they want the financial planner or whatever is because they actually aren't saving. They're losing because like Robert Kiyosaki says, savers are losers. Why? Because cash doesn't have value. It's a currency and it's constantly being devalued on a daily basis. And so with inflation and the price of the things that they want and need going higher and higher and higher every single day, what's happening to people He's just saying, yeah, you know what? I think I'm willing to take uh, my cash out of a place where it's it's not, not necessarily. And even with like the banks, I can't even call it safe. Look at four, four major banks. You got First Republic, you got uh, SVB, you have four major banks uh, failing all inside of a week's time. So they're not saving and it's not safe. So they're like, well, you know, how, can, how, how much can some risk hurt, right? And yeah. another thing, too, is that look at how this spending pattern. Most people get a check. They don't pay themselves first. Kind of that's another thing that Robert Kiyosaki says a lot. Is, you know, pay yourself first. Rich dad, poor dad, right? Uh, the rich don't work for money. They pay themselves first. They buy assets and so on. It's, you know, income producing assets, so on and so forth. Well, people get money nowadays. Most majority of people, you get a check, it's, it's sent to your account. You pay Paul, Peter, the car people, the house people, everybody. And then whatever's left over, you know, the little five or percent or whatever that you're able to keep for yourself. That's what you're trying to save and invest on. Mm -hmm. So it's already so minuscule that it's like 
this ain't worth trying to save and you're not really saving, you're losing. So boom, in, in comes the risk. In comes me willing to just, instead of saving, I'm just going to flat out try to invest whatever it is I have left over, right? And so 401ks, IRAs, Roth accounts, uh, mutual funds, ETFs, all these different things are nothing but different chariots of investing. It's nothing but uh, a, a different chariot, you know, it's still being driven uh, by a horse, uh, it's still, it's still, you know, it's not a car, right? It's not the efficient way of saving your money because it's an investment. And so with that being said is if you had to go from South Carolina, where I'm at to California, what's the most efficient mechanism of that? If we had to choose between horse and carriage or a car, obviously a car. Now, mo the most, most efficient, <laughs> of course, would be a plane, right? But I think that's what it is, is understand the efficiency and understand the tool. If you got the right tool for the job. Uh, and of course, too, you know, you wouldn't use a you wouldn't use a flathead screwdriver as a hammer. Right. A lot of people would be looking at you like, man, that, you might, you're making that thing a lot harder than what it has to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that's exactly what it is. So understanding this is the tool. My policy is a savings. It's like a master savings account. It is a tool and a mechanism in which I put in a premium. It buys me, just like I said, this is what the rich do. They buy income producing assets or they buy something to, to where it produces some kind of cash flow and they can leverage that. So uh, I pay a premium. It buys me a death benefit, money that I otherwise would not see because it would go to my family. I don't like death insurance, even though I want to leave some, some wealth for my family. You can think about what we just said. The price of the things that people want are going higher and higher and higher. By the time your family actually gets that money and it impacts their lives, your daughter or son or daughter is paying double for the house or the car. You see what I'm saying? That they want that you bought inside of your younger years. So, yeah, you left them some cash. But in terms of purchasing power, because that's what it's called, it's not the nominal number. When you check your account and it says 100 bucks, the $100 is about what can it buy you. During COVID and different things like that that was happening when you had certain price gouging is what it really is, because there was, was no need for those prices to go that high. But at the end of the day, if sanitizer goes to five dollars or tissue skyrocketing or whatever the case is, you know that that hundred dollars is not purchasing you in terms of the power of what it can buy. It doesn't it's not buying the same stuff that it could buy before. Um, and so kind of kind of to tie the bow together on, on what I'm saying is that I think people need to understand this policy allows because you put in your premium, they guarantee inside the contract. They have to take a small amount of money, turn into a larger amount of money. It's a contract. It's a guaranteed contract. So it eliminates the risk because what you have to understand is whether the economy is running hot or it's cold or GDP is up or it's down, inflation is up or down, things going good or bad. When you crash your vehicle, that's a guaranteed contract. If you pay full coverage, they cover the cost of your car as well as other things that'll come with that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same thing here. They're just saying, hey, based on whole life insurance, it doesn't matter when you die because it's your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. um, we'll cover that. And more importantly, all the deposit that you've given us, we'll take that, grow them, and we're guaranteeing to pay those out plus more. Mm -hmm. It's not saying if the stock market does good. It's not saying... You, know, you see what I'm saying? Now, obviously, the, the performance of the company is going to matter, right? You want your insurance company to remain solvent. You need the insurance company. And, and this is this is kind of the rebuttal or the combative, combative uh, argument for people, right? 
But then you kind of think about it and you make them break it down and you realize that this person is just just saying something. They they actually don't have anything to say to combat it. So they kind of just say something. Think about the banks. Insurance companies do not participate inside the Fed. Insurance companies do not participate inside of the banking system at all. Why did four major banks fail? They were worth billions of dollars. Why did they fail? Because if I can take your money, I can now exponentially grow that money, which is really fake. It's called fractional reserve lending. And so basically, they, they, if you give me $100, I can lend out 1000 to Johnny that comes in the door behind you. At some point in time, you, Johnny, and everybody else in the community, if something hits the fan and people get afraid, you all come run and try to get your money at the same time. When that happens, that's the bank run. That's when they fail. That's when they start because the credit is over leveraged in comparison to the reserves and the deposits on hand. And that's called liquidity. So what we're about to run into now is a liquidity crisis. And honestly, some of these things are happening on purpose. They're crushing mid-sized banks, smaller banks, and purposely locking away liquidity and pushing it towards larger banks. Because I believe we're going to come into, um, not believe, it's going to happen. Fed now goes, uh, Fed now is a payments uh, system that goes live in 2024. We'll have a central bank digital currency. Uh, The governor of Florida is pushing against it. Hopefully other people, other states push against it as well. Um, And I know, I know this is like, I know this is like all over the place, Uh, but I hope I'm trying to, okay, okay. I'm trying to bring it, I'm trying to bring it together for people and kind of land this plane. So the, what I'm saying is this, the inherent risk is that, you're tied to the system of control. Mm-hmm. The banking system and the government works hand in hand. The government doesn't produce anything. They take and redistribute wealth, which is a nice way of saying stealing. They take the money out of your check or whatever the case is, right? And they they receive that in the form of taxes. And so from there, <clears throat> they redistribute that. And of course, if I'm the only person seeing how this gets redistributed, as you can imagine, Politicians come in, regular people, and end up very, very wealthy by the time they get out, right? Because all that redistributing is going around. They 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 take their fair share. Um, and so, you know, with that being said, is that that's a portion of your wealth that's going out the window. The banking system, controlling your transactions, taking all of our money, literally lending this same money back out to us and charging us for it. The only difference between me, you and the, me, you and the bank is that the bank has a bunch of Hannah's that comes and put money in there. But if it's your banking system, it's only one Hannah putting money in there. So your banking system is going to take take some time to take off and, and, and have some capital to do some of the things that you want to do. But at the end of the day, what if we stop putting the banks in, in a position to do what they're doing? Because what, what happens when the banks do this? They own everything. Mm-hmm. We give them the power to buy our communities to buy our to buy our uh, supermarkets, to own our mortgages and all these different things like that. And then we pay them for for that control. Now, so not only are do they control it and they really own everything, we're paying them to stay in power. We're, 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 we're literally feeding uh, our own detriment, our own demise. So kind of like I said, bringing it back into it is the safety or the risk and the, the risk that's there. I would say that it's a guaranteed contract. Mm-hmm. I want you to think, I don't want to say zero risk because of course the insurance company has to take your deposits and grow them. Right. Yeah. But 
what is the insurance company doing? The insurance company cannot take crazy risks. They can't over leverage, right? They have to make very, very safe, moderate investments uh, and conservative um, because they understand that I can only use what gets deposited into the insurance company. They don't participate inside of the fractional reserve lending system, the modern day banking system that's connected to the Fed, basically one big large Ponzi scheme. Um, they're not a part of that, right? And and if you think about solvency, well, if you're hearing this and you're like, well, that just lets me know that basically if the, if the company fails, I fail too. And all my money's down the drain or whatever. I had a guy telling me, he's like, that's one of the worst places you can put your money is with an insurance company because of when the economy goes bad, blah, 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 blah. And he then, you know, whatever. But the whole thing was this. How many people pay car insurance? So many. You pay car insurance, I'm sure, right? Okay. You don't wake up every day like, I want to go wreck my car. Yeah. Right. The majority of us, we want to stay safe, want to get home, so on and so forth. How many people pay for insurance in general where nothing ever actually happens? How many times how many times do floods like you live in Florida, right? Yeah. But every single year, your house is not getting flooded. Mm-hmm. Correct. Somebody can stay inside of California and they have fires. But every single year, your house doesn't catch on fire. Or maybe your house never caught on fire, even though you stay in California or whatever the case is, right? Think about how many people pay for insurance of some kind. Nothing ever happens for the most part, because that's what it's for. It's just mainly for protection and, and the in the event that something were to happen. My phone, I got phone insurance. Never had to use it. From You see what I'm saying? So it's like, if you look at this, how many premiums has the insurance company collected? where they never had to pay this out. Yeah. Meanwhile, your bank is collecting your deposits and giving out way more than what you gave them. Which one Which one do you feel safer in? And also keep in mind, before you think about, well, where's the risk? Tell me, I, I, I always question people, explain to me how your 401k works. See, another thing that we have to learn to do, too, is put it back on people to be responsible for themselves, too. Don't come and ask me a thousand questions. You don't even know the name of your agent for your car insurance. Mm -hmm. That's a guaranteed contract that works the same as that way as this. You don't even know your health insurance agent. But you're asking me how much I make on commissions or whatever the case is. I understand you came across me in a different way. But the reality is people don't even know how the financial vehicles and different things they already placed their money in works now. If you understand how 401k works, you know you are far from safe in a 401k. If you understand how IRAs and Roth accounts work, uh, how the banking system works, you're far from safe. So where are you safe? Where are you putting your money? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm, I believe in gold and silver, precious metals. Very, That's very, very safe. I can hold it in my hand, so on and so forth. At the same time, it fluctuates. The price of that can fluctuate. Right. Just like the value of my dollars can fluctuate up and down in my policy. But the difference is I'm not necessarily having my policy for that. I think I said, I think people need to understand the problem. This solution makes more sense. Um, And that's kind of Jason Lowe. Jason Lowe, I did an interview with him, man. He opened my eyes to that is that people don't understand the the real problem that they have. And if you did, you'll understand, just like you said, financing things, buying the stuff you're already buying. What you have to understand is you're going to pay for it in three different ways. Cash, credit card or a loan from the bank. The second two ways we know you lose that money plus more. The first way, you give up what the cash could have done for you. So if you look at the majority of people, I paid my house off, paid my car off. I got this and that. Yeah, but you can't even retire. Yeah. 
you've been working, you're working at 65, 70 years old because you need consistent cash flow. So you went your whole life exchanging or sacrificing this for that, which that's what the dollars are. They're a median of exchange. So you either have whatever it is you want or you have the dollars. But coming back to what you said, what if I stop trying to just re- get new dollars? So the dollars come in the front door and out the back door. What if I start trying to re- just replace those dollars in my system, recycle that wealth? So I can go buy a TV, go buy a house, go buy a car, get some or all of the money back from that purchase back into my system. So it's the and asset. I can have the investment. I can have whatever it is I needed or wanted. And I can still have the money back from that uh, particular purchase. And I'm just replacing the dollars in my system, keeping my wealth with me longer term rather than trying to uh, get new dollars and keep chasing new dollars as the prices of things keep going higher and higher. So I guess to kind of bring it all into a close of what I was saying is that the risk is the risk to me is, is not really there. Um, you would have to show me less risk for me to like, a, the risk is if all insurance companies, because they have to reinsure themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's not, even though you have a contract with, let's say, I don't know, just Geico or whoever, your contract isn't necessarily just with Geico. It's reinsured through other insurance companies. And there's there's uh insurance guarantee association that kind of makes that they make sure that people get paid out on these claims. But we can't guarantee you that, you know, we can't say, oh, based on that, they're guaranteed to do it. But here's what we can say. Same way you have FDIC insurance. If you read it, they're not guaranteeing to do that at all. <laughs> they're saying that based on if something major were to happen we would try to make a good amount of people whole based on these metrics and so the insurance guarantee association is saying the same thing but like i said when i look at it and i understand it uh i think about 40 40 million people operate vehicles and pay car insurance less than a quarter million people or right at actually get into accidents every year and the majority of those are not very fatal or not very crazy to where the insurance company has to pay out all of what you've given them. And there's so many different types of insurance. They're very, they have a lot of money on hand. Um, and think about term insurance. You could pay 15, 20 bucks. You know, if you pay 20 bucks for 20 years, you know, 20 a month, you, you, you pay, I mean, anywhere between like four to $8,000 something like that, just off the top of my head, you know, you're look at all this cash that we're giving away term insurance. There's a 98% chance that you don't die within the term. Well, that's a 98% win rate off of term insurance. There's probably more people with term insurance than anything else, any other product on the market. Mm-hmm. Insurance companies have plenty of reserves on hand. I'm not worried about their solvency. So I'm not really worried about the risk in that. And if you understand what the policy is meant for, you understand that what you need to do is take the cash out of your policy, choose your own risk, buy the assets and stuff that you think is safer to you. Maybe you think real estate is more safe or whatever the case is. Gold and silver, I think that's very, very safe. Maybe even potentially safer than my policy, being that I can hold it, right? But what's stopping me from taking that cash out of there, buying those assets and holding them and having them or whatever the case is. So like I said, understanding the problem helps you understand understand the solution and, and knowing the right tool for the job. So the risk, very, 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 very low risk uh, especially in comparison to everything you already do. 
Yeah. And actually you hit on a, a ton of good key points. Um, I actually have a little series going on right now on the channel where uh, my friend John and I were, were diving in deep into the creature of Jekyll Island. So uh, so for my folks out there, y'all know what I'm talking about. We, we just did our episode on bailouts and bullies is what I called it. But it really dives in deep, deep, deep into uh, the Federal Reserve System, fractional reserve banking, um, et cetera. And here, here's here's how I take it. And when people ask me, so Hannah, you know, I, I hear all these good things about the policies, you know, what are the risks? What what are the risks that are involved? In my opinion, I think you are the number one risk. You, the new policy holder and owner, you're the risk factor when it comes to all of this, this whole concept, because when you open up your first policy, the worst thing that can ever happen is, hey, the company just doesn't pay a dividend. However, if they're not paying a dividend, I still get my contractual guaranteed promise of that guaranteed interest inside of that policy. So worst case scenario, all right, company doesn't pay a dividend, but I still got my guaranteed interest, which I'll add to, I mean, it's higher than any other bank uh, uh, account that we're getting nowadays out there, right? So that's- And it's uninterrupted at a compounding rate. That's it. That's it. And it's, it's the opportunity cost, right? I talk about that all the time on this channel, y'all. That's really the whole reason as to why. And I do agree with you, Robert. You know, the more people that understand the problem, the solution is very, very easy. And the solution is your premiums into your policy. Your premiums should not be your problem. Your premiums should be your solution to getting to, to those financial goals of what you're trying to reach. So in my opinion, I think you, you are the the number Number one risk factor because hey you could you could stop paying your premiums you could uh, yourself back you could not pay back the interest on those loans but right you are the one who's in control of that and who do you know better than you right so I like that I like that I didn't oh I like that I approached it yeah I like the approach um I approach it you know I talk to a lot of people on the phone <laughs> so I I try to approach it from from that standpoint of a consumer. And and definitely um, that's a little bit different, like kind of almost like I said, is putting it back on them. So, hey, well, what about what what you got going on? <laughs> you know, like people, you know, people be like, well, what's the risk? This and that. And, you know, if you notice, too, most of the time that people are the most skeptical or have those kind of questions, they're actually not thinking about it in the terms of a banking system at all. Yep. They don't they haven't really done their due diligence. They don't. They're just thinking of it's kind of like another investment or something. And they actually most more likely this person is asking you, what is the bare minimum they can put into their policy? Yeah. Like, what is the bare minimum I can do to start this? Not that that's a bad thing. The I would say the bad thing about it is that you don't see the value in yourself. Because it's not about the concept. It's not about a product. You don't have to see the value in whole life insurance because it's not just whole life insurance anyways. It's whole life insurance designed for banking. You don't have to fully grasp the concept, I would say, or think that maybe you don't have to find the most amount of value in the concept even. But if you don't find value in yourself, then then that lets me know. I know by what you're telling me and, and what you're willing to do because this is your banking system. This is the first time where you actually get a control. And, and, and like I said, if you understand your problem, the solution makes all the sense in the world. This is about you. So like you said, who's the biggest risk? 
Honestly, the biggest risk is the it is the person that gets it. Um, not because the policy isn't very safe, not because there's not uh there's there's safety nets in place, for an example. Like uh say I can't pay my premium. Well, I can have a loan drafted for my policy to pay my premium. Um there's there's things like that in place, but inherently, if I don't see the value, let's say two months down the road, I forgot. I was never that serious for real about my finances. I was only excited in that moment. Mm-hmm. I kind of got started. And, you know, at first I had some enthusiasm about it. I didn't continue my education. I didn't continue learning. I actually didn't really buy R. Nelson Nash's book and read it. I just saw Hannah online or I, I came to a, 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 a presentation that she did. Maybe, maybe I saw a TikTok or something like that. 45 second TikToks are not going to change the next 45 years of your life. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So this is what people have to understand is like, you're not that enthusiastic anymore. You don't you don't know why you really started doing this or, or the really pro- the real problem that you have or the, the purpose for what you're doing and how this is a solution. So three to four months from now, you're not paying your premium because it's overpriced insurance. That's what your brain is going to tell you. That's what this. Hold on. Wait a minute. You, there's a thousand insurance commercials coming on every day. Right. And it's like, well, dang. I could just kind of cancel this policy or something, or why am I even doing this again? I could just go over here and, and go with this right here. If, it, if it's only for insurance, I can meet my insurance needs without ever having to, to do this. And so if you think about it in that way, it makes no sense. This is not to meet your insurance needs necessarily. It's a two birds, one stone scenario. Well, it's, it, to me, it's like a five or 10 birds, one stone scenario, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's not for your, it's, it, we're not here to, for just for insurance uh, or death benefit. We're not here. We're here for what we can leverage against it. Right. We're not here for an investment. We're not here to try to solve your investment issue. Rates of return. And whenever I hear people going on and on and on about rates of return, I just start saying cash flow. So if you're going to try to beat me over the head with rates of return and APY, I'm going to beat you over the head with cash flow. Because why are you tell me about cash flow? And what you notice is they have zero clue. They don't know. Because you're, unless you're like in real estate or something like that, and most real estate people, what are they talking? Cash flow. That's it. They're either talking about flipping something and they'll talk about uh, the return on that for sure. But nine times out of 10, cash flow is the name of the game. They understand. That's why most people, especially in real estate, they get into this and they see it and they're like, yep, makes a whole bunch of sense. Okay, cool. You know, you don't have, it's less explaining and stuff like that to do because they understand financing and so and so on and so forth. So if I give you 30%, Hannah, average, of course, because it's never actual. So I'm going to give you an average of 30%. Okay. But um, you can't do anything with it mm-hmm. for another 30 years. Mm-hmm. Not fun. Where's my what, is it, 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 what does that do? If I, between now and the next 30 years, how did that improve my financial status? How did that improve my life? How did that help my kids, my my spouse, my bills, the debt that I'm in, any of this stuff? Mm-hmm. It did nothing. It did nothing. So talk to me in cash flow. Don't tell me about how good something is. Tell me about how you can use it to change your life. That's a good tool. 
And here's here's the thing. A lot of people just want to set it and forget it because that's just what we've been taught. Right. I, I think the biggest misconception is, is that we've just been taught, hey, I'm going to go work for my dollars. Actually, before I get into it, go back, y'all. Page 48 of Nelson's book, page 48. He talks about man at work versus money at work, right? And so what we've just been taught all of these years is is that, hey, I go out, I get a college degree, I go find myself a good job, I'll work for the next uh, uh, so odd years until I'm 65 years old, and then I'm going to put money away into this account, I'm going to set it and forget it, and then hopefully one day in the future, I'm going to have this cash bucket here that I'm going to live off of to uh, for all of my retirement stages so I can keep up with my bills and keep up with my lifestyle right? I mean, that's just conventionally what we've been taught. And so the biggest thing that we got to understand is I 100% agree, it's cash flow. How can I go put my dollars and my money to work for me, create myself some more cash flow, so I can really take back that time freedom for myself that I can go and take out the boat on a Wednesday afternoon if I so please, right? I can go out and go and enjoy my my daughter's uh, uh, piano lessons because, hey, I don't have to go to work right now because I already got some dollars that are coming into me. Yeah. So and I, I think that's the big thing where when when we're talking about this concept, because and I know we're going into details and stuff, and I know I titled this episode Infinite Banking for Dummies, really kind of dumb <laughs> but he, here's all it is y'all all we're doing is instead of placing our money down at the central banks my money is being warehoused inside of my policies and it's nothing more than just my savings vehicle where i'm accumulating and storing the majority of my wealth and there's a lot of attributes where i won't go too deep into the weeds but i'll just kind of name them off hey tax-free growth Hey, 100% control, you know, because nobody can touch that money inside of my policy, but me, myself, and I. Um, exactly. Also, okay, I mentioned tax-free. Oh, I can leverage it, right? It's still liquid in there. I got cash in there that I could tap into and start using. Oh, on top of that, it's really honing in on that uninterrupted compounding. When I mm-hmm. funnel money through that policy first, now for the rest of my life, I'm going to earn that uninterrupted compounding. Oh, and then get this too. I also have that death benefit, which I know we don't talk about a lot, but there is that death benefit on the policy, whether we like it or not. And yeah. I feel like when people come to me and they start to talk about this concept and they ask me the question of, well, hey, what 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 is that minimum minimum premium I can do? I get it. I get maybe one of the reasons why somebody is asking that question because they are in that financial hamster wheel and they just are trying to get out of the debts or whatnot. Exactly. Exactly. But- But then other people are asking me that question because they're still programmed into that old way of thinking of, hey, I want the cheapest amount of premium for the highest amount of death benefit that I can get. No, no, no. I'm never going to ask you how much death benefit you want. I'm going to ask you how much cash do you want to stick into the policy? And then based off of that cash, you got your cash value in there. And then that just pops us out X amount of death benefit of whatever that buys us. And I've said it before when Nelson 
was around teaching his live seminars, he would say that our need for finance and cash in our lifetime is far greater than our need for death benefits. And so that's all we're doing. We're just solving the need for that finance and cash. Because in my opinion, right, I mean, it, it, it just imagine a world, I've said this before, but just imagine a world where you don't have to rely on anybody else, no other financial institutes, no banks, and where you can really practice that banking within yourselves where you can go issue yourselves loan. You go issue loans for your family members. You issue loans for other people in your investment world, and you're in 100% control of what you're doing. I mean, I mean, just imagine that. And, and that, that kind of leads me to my next question that I want to ask you, Robert, is, is that, you know, how can this infinite banking concept really create that true financial freedom for myself and my family? I mean, how, how does this policy really do that? How, how would you answer that question when you're talking to your people? Uh, yeah. So the biggest thing is to kind of hone in. I, and I know I know we uh, we both got to jump off in just a minute here. But the biggest thing to kind of hone in on on what you were saying is. Uh, for one, if I'm somebody that I am inside of a, a, a rock and a hard place, so to speak, is that what you have to understand is if you going about doing things the way that you were doing them were going to work, then you would already see some kind of results of that. Mm-hmm. The same doing the same thing, the same exact way and expecting different results is what insanity. Right. Well, the majority of people are exactly that. We are insane because of the way we think and the paragraph, the paradigm that we have at the moment, right? So if I keep taking the same cash and I keep trying to, like literally making minimum payments on your credit cards does zero. Making minimum payments on debt in general does zero for you. It's not helping you. Um, It's kind of like putting a down payment on a car. A lot of people don't don't understand how that really works. So what, what you have to understand is we need to be knocking off principle. We need to be hitting at the principle balance. And in order to do that, you need to be principled in how you and uh, how your money works for you. Right. I need my money. I need my money to pay. I need to pay myself first, take cash out of my policy and then go about paying down my debt or whatever the case is. So that at the end of doing that, I can have a chance to recoup and recapture that wealth and that economic value back into my own policy. You, your dollars hold your economic value. How can this financially free you? The majority of people, statistically, working Americans will work, make, and spend around one to two million dollars in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. They might not necessarily make it all, but you finance in between that one to two million. So if you take your house, multiple cars, college, so on and so oh gosh, especially college, so on and so forth you know, between one to two million. How much are people retiring on, on average, for the people that can retire, which is less than 25% of Americans? You're retiring about less than 10% of your wealth. So 200,000 or less, especially nowadays, more so on the less side. Now, given millennials and Generation Z, one of the big things is with the, the leap in technology, that can help you uh, there's a correlation between the, the leap in technology and inflation as well. I'm not going to dive into that, but to speak to it is that if you utilize today's tools, just like infinite banking is a tool. It's a very old tool, but it still works. Works really, really good. Hammers are like the oldest tools, but right now, hammers are so useful for a lot of different things, right? Um, 
but we have new tools too. Combine yeah. them, combine them. You know, don't we got we got a wrecking ball attached to a big tractor. Don't go try to knock down an entire house with a hammer. The hammer's still very useful. You need it. You got to have it for smaller jobs, right? But, you know, we got new tools as well. And so I think that's the thing is with technology and different things like that, um, we can utilize these things to financially free ourselves. Um, but more importantly, it's, it's like the foundation on 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 what it is that we're doing. So I like to kind of hone in on it. Like I said, is how can this help us? If you're going to go through your life and let's say this person spent a million dollars, but you died broke. Right. So it's not what was the what's the real problem here? Like I said, if you understand the problem, the solution makes all the sense in the world. What's the real problem? Was it necessary? Were they lazy? They didn't go to work. No, they could have made some investments. They didn't have an investing problem. Um, What's the like, what's the core issue? They didn't keep the money with them. Yep. So I'm not saying go work a new job. We're not saying make an investment. We're not saying become an entrepreneur, start a new career. We're literally not saying to do anything different from what you already do, but change how you do what you do. So when you get the check, pay yourself first, leverage your banking system, and then pay the bills. The bills and stuff like that got paid. But at the end of you paying off that debt, paying off the car, paying off the house or whatever the case is, you had an opportunity to get that value back to yourself. Because do you want to work hard? You're like I said, your dollars and and, 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 and the cash that you receive holds your economic value. So are you OK with just giving all of this value away for the rest of your life? And not only do you die broke, you also pretty much work for free. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like that, but that's what it is. The house, the car, the this and that, they're, 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 that's nothing but things. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. They're nothing but things. How much of this value do you have when I can when I can when I can give my hard work, blood, sweat and tears to my kids? Yeah. That's different. Giving them a house and a car and stuff like that. The reality is they're not really not assets for the most part. And and we don't understand that those are just things. Mm-hmm. And so, um. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I would say is how the cow can is financially free you. What are you already doing that's going to financially free you? Yeah. This is financially freeing yourself by becoming the bank, putting yourself in the center, center of these transactions where if you're going to pay down some debt or you're going to be paying back some loans, whatever the case is, you drive the money and the value back to yourself. And literally, like I said, if, and I always question, I always question people, if you just had half the money in your entire lifetime, would you still be on the phone with me right now? Oh, no, I probably wouldn't. So that's your problem. Now, I've been now down in South Florida drinking a margarita on the beach. Yeah. Now we now we know your problem. Now we know your your real problem because if you had half the money, let's say, and on average, the person a person makes and spends about a million. Well, half of that is a half a million. If you had a half a million dollars, your retirement or whatever would probably be pretty good. So um, that's my that's my that's my uh, answer to that. And um, like I said, I know, I know we both got to uh, jump off uh, here. I got to I got to be to uh, be somewhere about one thirty. But um, Hannah, definitely everything you spoke to is was uh, was awesome. And I will have the links in the descriptions as well. Oh, and we have an event coming up here August the 5th uh, right here inside of Greenville. It's not going to be like a banking bro type event. It's going to be a little bit different. We got some guest speakers and stuff like that. So you guys definitely want to um you know, we got to we got to see if we can't do something together for that. 
Okay. And hey, before you hop off, then um, let me ask you this. Uh, so like currently right now, what, what are you doing with your banking policies? Oh, easy. Um, Just paid uh, like two car notes, um, $597 a piece. Um, paid uh, off some credit cards um, because at the end of the day, it's okay to leverage the system, mm-hmm. but it's about where does the value go? So I can get cash back on a credit card or something like that. But when I pay it, do I just pay it and my cash goes to the credit card company and poof be gone? Or do I pay down my credit card and then I can get the cash back rewards and all that good stuff and still get that money back to go go back towards my policy? Um, So, yeah, like I said, it's like the five or ten birds, one stone scenario for me. So I've been using it for uh, also too, I took my guy. I took my granddad to the uh, to an NBA basketball game. Awesome. Um, we, yeah, we got to see the 76ers play the Hornets, um, right here in Charlotte. Um, so that, you know, that was good as well. So, I mean, I honestly, I think that when you, when you really understand the concept is you can use it for whatever, anything, I mean, literally anything you spend money on, like that's what it's about banking, like controlling your financial environment, every single transaction. Um, but yeah, on, on a, on a, on a smaller scale, building it up. Um, I, of course I don't get every single dollar back into my system right now. Um, but you know, the majority, um, I'm happy to say that I'm getting them back right now. So, uh, that's, you know, that's what I use them on. I don't think that I, I got out of the mindset that it has to be for a particular thing because I understand it so much now. It doesn't have to be for a particular thing. It has to be for what you're spending money on, which is everything. That's it. That's it. All right, man. Well, I will put uh, your socials down below so people can follow you and, and give you a shout because you're, you're very, very knowledgeable. So, um, thank you. Thank you. As always, it was a pleasure getting to talk to you and uh, I'll see you here soon. And um, for anybody out there who uh, wants to reach out to Robert, like I said, his uh, links will be down in the description. And um, until next time, Robert, thank you, man. Have a good thank, day. Thank you, Hannah. And I, I, let, me, let me hurry up because I, I'm, I, I think it was me that did. They're, they're running over. You were listening. I was, I was talking. So I got to hurry oh, up and, and, run and hit the road. But thank, I, thanks so much. My community hears me talk enough, so they're good with it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And I look forward to putting this on, on my channel as well. And uh, definitely thank you for part two to our first interview. So thank you so much, Hannah. Make sure you get this recorded and send it over to me, and I'll send you what I got as well, okay? Absolutely, man. All, All right. right, guys. Make your dollars make sense. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. I hope you got some value out of that. You know, so I brought Robert in because, you know, he is uh, within my same age group. And I thought it would be cool just to see somebody else's perspective that wasn't introduced to this when they were still pooping in their diapers. Okay, so I I thought it was really cool to bring him on. He is educating the public uh, about this concept in the proper manner, um, because in just my personal humble opinion, there's a lot of folks out there who claim they teach infinite banking, but you got to do it in the proper manner, the Nelson Nash way, somebody who's also going to be there to help support you in the ongoing process when you are incorporating this infinite banking, privatized banking concept within your life. So just a quick recap, really, y'all, like I said in my last episode, this stuff is that stupid simple. The hardest part about it is just changing your mindset from that consumer mindset, being plugged into the consumer
consumers of the banks, where now you are creating your own bank. And now you are the one making the profits, interest and dividends on yourself rather than the bankers making it on you. So I hope that helps and that makes sense. And uh, feel free, always reach out to me. No question is stupid, y'all. I get it. You know, everybody has to start where they're at. And I think that's a perfect segue into our next little segment here. Let's talk about listener writing questions. Hannah, I don't have $10,000 to start my policy with. What is the minimum that I need to do to get started? So this question comes a lot um, about because of our presentation, you know, we use the car example where that gentleman does 10,000 a year into his policy or like the map example where he is um, uh, sending where he's starting his policy with that 25,000 a year into it. But trust me, I get it. When I was 18 years old, there was no way I could do $25,000 into my policy. So, so start where you're comfortable at right now now. And so the minimum that I tell folks, so everybody does have a minimum based on their age. I call it the 10 times the age rule, where take your age, multiply it by 10. Let's say I have somebody who's 45 years old. You being 45, 45 times 10, $450 on a monthly premium. That is your minimum for me to design this thing properly for this banking concept. Meaning that each time you're putting in that $450 a month, you have access to capital in there that you can take out and start using. So 10 times the age rule. And just quickly, a tidbit too, you get to determine your premium amount and you get to determine the mode of what you want to put into your policy, whether that be on a monthly basis, quarterly, uh, twice a year, or annually. Just pay the full upfront uh, annual uh, premium. And actually, here's a bonus question. Sometimes I'll get uh, this asked uh, from time to time. They'll say, well, Hannah, what is the best mode of premium that I should put in? Should I do monthly? Should I do quarterly? Should I do annually? My advice to y'all is is that start with the mode of premium that is going to be best for your cash flow situation. I got policies on annual. I got some policies on monthly. I like my monthly policies because they're just better for my monthly cash flow that's coming in. I like my annual policies because as soon as I make that full annual premium for the year, I have that full cash bucket for the year within 30 days that I can take out and start using. We're like on the flip side, right? If you're doing monthly, quarterly, whatever, I mean, each time that you're making those premiums into that policy, well, now each month you have a 12th of that full loan amount made available to you each and every month. Does that make sense? So, so it's not it's not any different dollar amount. It's just, hey, whatever frequency that you put in, that is that cash frequency that's made available to you as well. And that's why I call premiums deposits because each time you make that premium deposit into the policy, well, now you have cash in there that you can take out and start using. Okay, when I pass away, what happens to my cash value inside of my policy? And most of the time, this question kind of comes from like my folks who've been following Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman for a long, long time. And trust me, I get it. My parents were a big follower of of Susie Orman. But, um, But what happens to my cash value, my death benefit once I pass? Well, your cash value 
is your death benefit. You have a portion of your cash, excuse me, you have a portion of your death benefit made available to you in cash value. So here's like an example um, that can kind of make the analogy or comparison. It's kind of like in the real estate world, right? Let's make believe your property is valued at $1 million, just using easy numbers. Your property is valued at $1 million and you have equity inside of that policy of, of or inside of that house of $600,000. All right. So property is valued at a million, but you have $600,000 of equity. Well, the policy operates the same exact way. You'll be able to use your 600000 of that equity inside of that policy right now while your death benefit is that a million dollars. So at the time of your passing, any outstanding loans or cash that you have taken out from your policy during this time that you're living and you did not pay back those loans, well, it'll just get subtracted from your death benefit because your cash value is a portion of your death benefit. So let's use that example. You have a million dollars of death benefit. Your cash value is 600000 and let's make believe that you have all of it outstanding at the time of your passing. Well, the insurance company would just take that $1 million death benefit, subtract the 600000 of outstanding loans, and then the remaining 400000 would then get paid out to your beneficiary, whoever you named. Where if you paid back all of your loans and you have no loans outstanding at the time of your passing, well, then that full $1 million will get paid out to your beneficiary. So same way, let's take it back to the house example. If you have a $1 million house that it's valued at, but you have $600,000 in equity, you're not going to sell your property for $1.6 million. No, no, no. You're going to sell it for that $1 million price tag of what it's valued at, right? So same thing. Your cash value equals a portion of your death benefit. So if you use it while you're living, hey, they already gave you that death benefit while you're living. If you're not using it, well, then it's just going to get paid out to your beneficiaries. But again, the whole reason and why we're doing this whole concept is, is that we're using these policies to go buy ourselves some cash flowing assets so that in the end of it, I want to leave my family those cash flowing assets that I bought with my policy, along with whatever death benefit that is there when I am no longer here. And on top of that, is that taxable death benefit or is that tax-free? It's definitely tax-free lump sum that's going to get paid out to your beneficiary of whoever you name. So I hope that helps. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Money Multiplier podcast, where we ask ourselves, do our dollars make sense? As always, rate us five stars, uh, leave a comment down below, email me, text me, y'all. I put up my cell phone number everywhere. I'll even give it right now, 913-908-3511. You text me, you call me if you got questions and want to chat. No question is stupid. So go give us a follow, subscribe on the YouTube, the podcast, you, um, um, Instagram, TikTok, all of those uh, fancy little social media apps that we got out there nowadays. We're on all of them. So uh, until next time, I'll catch you then. Bye now.